in need of a philosophical shift, my guy or my girl, then this is the conversation that you want to listen to. Coach Jarrett Shan, he's been in the training business for six years on and off. He lost his parents. He got a divorce. He entered rehab and found a few life codes that helped him change his life around. So he served tables and began building his training business again to become fully sustainable. And he calls himself the life coach for kids who uses basketball as a conduit to deliver the lessons. So again, if you need some codes, if you wanna hack the, the life that you live and use basketball as the reference so it's easier to understand. This is the conversation that you will enjoy, and I appreciate it, Coach Jarrett Shand, for being so vulnerable, being so open, and sharing some of his his hacks, his tactics. Hope you guys enjoy, and uh, let me know what you think about it. I spent the last three years learning from some of the best business minds inside the game of basketball. And now I've left my nine to five to create freedom and have fun while doing it. So the question is, how are hoopers and basketball fanatics like us using those same skills that gave us success on the court to give us success in our new sport of business? This podcast will give you the answer. Join me as I learn, apply, share knowledge, and change lives through the game that changed mine. My name is Myson Jones, and welcome to the Basketball to Business Podcast. What's up, everyone? It's Myson Jones here with Basketball and Business Podcast. Jared, how are you doing, man? I appreciate you for joining me on, on this on this podcast episode. How are things going? I'm doing great, man. I appreciate you having me today. How are you doing? Great. Now, pronounce your, your full name for me to so make sure I and the audience can... It's uh, Jared Shand. Jared Shand. It's Shand. Cool. So, Jared, can you begin by telling all the trainers who are listening to this or the coaches where you were five years ago? I mean, I think that's a great way to open it up. Okay. So uh, I live in a town called Wenatchee, Washington. Uh, five or six years ago, I had started my training business, but uh, personally, a lot of things fell through. A lot of th- business things fell through too. So I moved down to Miami. Uh, I'd moved down there to start training, but the situation wasn't, it just wasn't really set up. And I brought me and as we'll go, you realize there's kind of an old me and a new me. And the old me had a lot of kind of fouled up thinking. So when I got down there, um, I was kind of lost. I had lost both my parents a couple years prior. I had lost, I had gotten a divorce, moved away from where I knew. So I'm down in Miami. It's a, it's essentially a different country. Um, so long story short, uh, three or four months later, I got a DUI. My car's taken away. I'm sitting in a rehab homeless with pretty much nobody there to, you know, almost nobody there to like call or whatever. I had my brother, I had a couple people. Um, and I'm realizing that I, I've been intelligent all my life, but there's something in there that I'm not doing right. So I kind of delved in, started reading, started thinking, looked into spirituality, looked into kind of personal ownership. There's a lot of ideas along the way that I found and started to put something back together. I tell people like in that, in that burning ashes, I found one piece of myself to hold on to, And then I tried to build around that. Um, three years later, I moved back to Wenatchee. I started out, I was at Applebee's. I was just serving tables. That was kind of something I had done in Miami. I moved to another restaurant, served tables there, kind of got a bump in the increase in pay. About six months ago, I, I'd been building my business, working on Instagram, training a couple kids here and there. And about six months ago, I trained a couple kids, put out a video, and it sort of blew up in my little town. And now I have 40 to 50 clients, semi, you know, getting to the point where it's a fully functioning training business and all that. 
So you you are in take me back to rehab and take me to that that point where you have the epiphany or where you start to see things change. Was it a process? Was it one book that you read, one sentence? Yep. How did that transition happen for you? I got you. So I'm in there, I'm on day four. And this is a rough spot. It's a direct, it's a department of corrections facility. So all pretty much people from jail are coming to there. On the fourth day, the president of the rehab comes up and he says, I couldn't give this book to many people, but I think you might understand it. And it was called A New Earth by Eckhart Tolle. So Eckhart Tolle is the author of A Power of Now, right? And the idea is that all you ever really have is this moment, right? You don't have the future. You don't have the past. So I started reading that book. That's the Power of Now's idea. But I started reading that book. And at some point, I read something that said, you are responsible for everything. And I had this idea. I had this thought. And I said, this is all my fault. Every single thing that has happened in my life is my fault. But then I turned it into my responsibility, right? At first it was fault and fault is something I had to like that made me a bad person. But then I turned it into my responsibility and it became something empowering. Now, before in my life, I did what I did because you did what you did. I was a whatever, because if you would have done something better, I would have done something better. And that just got me into more and more trouble because you can't control other people's actions. So I was in a reactionary state pretty much all my life. Once I realized that essentially everything had become my fault and I was the only one that was going to fix it, I started slowly but surely. It took me time to sort of figure out what I was doing, but I started slowly but surely taking action that put me towards a healthier state, more productive, you know, more successful, I guess. I don't know how many trainers you talked to, but in your guess, if you had to, what faulty language are basketball trainers or anybody in the basketball space humans in general, what are they telling themselves? What are we telling ourselves? Oh man, just humans in general, the things that we're telling ourselves. Yeah, that's for uh, kids, kids or trainers, because those, that's who you're training on a daily basis. And that's who you're using a lot of these principles. And, and what did you call yourself? You called yourself a, a life coach for kids, but a yeah, kind of a life coach for kids with the conduit of basketball. So, so one of my big things is relation, the story and relationship to failure. So I get kids and I can already sense a story. Like I, I train a sister, brother, and a brother, and I can watch the older brother play and I know he doesn't have an older brother. And I can watch the younger brother play and I know he has an older brother. I can see that story in the way they carry themselves. So what I try to do is I try to figure out their story and I try to figure out where there may be some faulty ideas of being less than or not being capable or not having potential to do whatever. I try to give them some, maybe a couple other ideas that help them. And then we go from there. And then, then I'm always kind of assessing, right? Because then it's, did they take the story in? Did it help them? Sometimes there's moments to moments fix. Sometimes there's session to session fix. And then it's relationship to failure. I found that basically as a human, your relationship to what you think is failure is going to determine your success. Once you realize that failure doesn't actually exist, right? There's only success and there's lessons for next time. Once you realize that, then it's easy. Right? But I used to have this idea that I was failing at every point and I was looking around the rest of the earth and everybody else had it figured out and I didn't and I was failing. And then, you know, we have to take solutions when we're in the wrong or when we're failing. Usually the human mind has to cope with that. So that's where drugs, alcohol come in, maybe food, maybe whatever, Fortnite. To substitute. So, so how do you begin with changing that story? What's your process for an athlete, for a trainee? 
well, the first is assessment. Anytime it's awareness, right, for any problem. So it's just figuring out what the story, figuring out how it's affecting them. Are they using it for motivation? Sometimes the story is what they need. Sometimes the little brother needs to see his bigger brother and he and that, you know, aim for him or that strife he has or whatever fuels him. Sometimes it, it doesn't. So it's, what is the story? Is it a helpful story? And then slowly kind of feeding them other stories. And it's hard to say, like, it's really moment to moment. I kind of create in the moment. So... What, what is your range of trainees? Like, I know for myself, uh, I have the trainees who, you know, they, they are hard on themselves. They are perfectionists. I have the trainees who sometimes seem like they care, sometimes they don't seem like they care. What's your range of clientele, trainees? I range, I have the spectrum. I have a couple trainees that break down at almost the first sign of, like if they miss a dribble, I have to talk them out of crying and I have others that are stone cold assassins. They don't, they don't care. They just go to work. And so like I have a, a group of kids that I tell them they should show up in business suits because they just walk up and they're just about business and they just get to work. I have other kids that want to talk, you know, it's like just the human range of the spectrum in life. I kind of have it with my training. And, and tell me, you 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 have some <laughs> some ways of helping out with with changing that story and, and giving feedback. What are some of your your tips that you would give to trainers who or player development coaches who want to help change the story from their trainees? Well, the story we were talking about earlier, and one thing I tell is that you can almost tell anybody anything if they trust you. You have the earned income, and you know how to tell it to them. So one thing I do is I don't usually criticize for. A couple sessions I might give them a couple ideas here you could fix this but I'm very very slow on my criticizing of their game I wait I make friends with them kind of in a sense I earn their trust and then I can kind of as I'm seeing what they're doing I can tell them what they need to sometimes it's straight-up authentic other times I'll use different methods so one day I'm training a little girl and I don't know how we got into it, but some, we got into Donald duck some way. Cause we're, we're kind of always goofing around in the sessions and she was shooting and I was telling her, her shot wasn't looking so good. So at one point I was like, I'll just tell her in a duck voice. So I looked at her and I said, you're and she just started laughing. She like almost fell on the floor crying. So then I started laughing and I was like, I high fived her. And from then on, I just kind of did the duck voice and she fixed her shot. And from any session now I can use that voice. I can kind of even point to the moment and she remembers it and it puts her in that excited state. That's very interesting. So you learn the perceptions in their head, you learn their stories and you meet them where they are in a sense. Is that correct? That's exactly it. I think I, I put a post on one of your deals. I, it might've been you as somebody else talked about leadership. And I said, a coach or a leader has to go find them where they are and take them to where we're going. And I know where we're going, right? They don't quite know where we're going. And so my goal is to try and take them and I call it controlled drowning. They, you know, they're going to struggle and we're all struggling. Humanity is a struggle, but I'm trying to give them the tools to keep their head above water as they're learning and going. How has your personal growth helped your business growth? You told me about the, the, the situation with the number one player or the number one three player in her class right now and how you were a little less mature business-wise when you began. T tell me about that situation and how you are different now versus then. Oh, let's see. So I think back then I didn't understand um, the law of the farm. I didn't understand what return on investment meant. Um, 
one of the analogies I have is if you see somebody swinging a rope, right? There's that ripple of the rope. Well, a lot of people think that this is what creates things in your life, the hand, but actually it manifests down the line in the swing of the rope, right? Where I used to think, I used to try to manipulate right here. And when it wasn't working, I just tried to adjust this, my effort. But sometimes, or mo pretty much every time, if you're pure effort, it's gonna manifest down the line. So I, now I have a lot more patience. I have a lot more understanding that what I'm putting in isn't going to come to me today where it used to be like it was a one-to-one -one interaction. If I gave you something, I needed something back right now. And there wasn't really any long-term value relationship type of thing. So now I try to always be on the losing end of value. So in any type of value discussion with a customer, I overgive. And I always feel like it's going to come back to me in the end. So if there's any kind of moment to moment, I need this. I let it go because I know like karmic, it's kind of like a karmic return. I just believe in that and I've seen it with my business and everything I do now. I mean, it's kind of flourished because of that, I believe. So I, at the bare basic level, what do you need? Because that sounds good. Don't get me wrong. Giving more value than you taking payment and being long-term playing the long game, but you need to take care of yourself first. You have to be selfish before you can be selfless, right? Well, no, 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 I, I say, I don't, I don't not get paid. I'm just saying, there's little, there's, there's a lot of wiggle room in there, right? To add value, right? You can still make a lot of money and there's a little, there's a lot of $5 interactions that I let go. So that's what I would say. Maybe I drop a lot of $5 interactions because that $5, it comes to me down the road in a smile or in a post or in a somebody new coming to my session or, you know, whatever. I just, I know I get it in spades. So in now I have my base chunk. I'm always, you know, I'm not, I'm paying my bills. I'm doing all that. But in those little wigger rooms, that's where I, that's where I see to kind of like lose the value of that's there. Okay. So you were very short term in the past. What may, what triggered you to mess up the relationship that you messed up earlier in your career? What, what happened there? So yeah, there's a, there's a really high level player in my area. I worked with her. Um, it was kind of a dispute of money where there was an issue with money and I used to be so insecure that in any issue that I might feel I was wrong, I had to discuss it with everybody and I had to like, you know, the insecurity came out and that became the forefront issue. So um, I just mishandled the situation. There was an issue with money. It was easy enough to just let it go like I would now. Now I wouldn't even have the discussion. It wouldn't even be an issue. I would have just forgot it and kept moving. And I had to handle that issue then. And in that moment, it wasn't the right situation. And it, it kind of, it helped lead which is possible the, the relationship wouldn't have been there anyways, but it definitely helped lead to that. Got it. And I guess you guys don't talk at all. Whoever this high level player, now I didn't ask you if you care disclosing who it is, go ahead. But do you still have a relationship with him or no? I don't. It's a, she's, her name's Haley Van Lith. She plays at a local high school, Cashmere High School. Um, I trained her, I trained her cousin who's in fifth grade. So I don't talk to her, but I'm still kind of involved in the situation. I go watch her play. You'll hear her name, Haley Van Lith. She's going to go down as one of the goats. She's amazing. Wow. Interesting. Thank you for sharing that. And really the, the thesis for this episode, it's, it's a conversation, but I, I want to talk weird shift or rough shift about the codes. You said you have the codes uh, of how basketball can help with life. What do you mean by that? Okay. So when we talked last week and you talked about the code of life, right? And then, so my idea is what is the code of life? As I'm looking into the matrix, I see codes everywhere. So I pull out a couple. One of my favorite is an author named Jordan Peterson. I've been doing a, watching his YouTube videos, reading his book. 
he has a book called 12 Rules to Life. It's the antidote to chaos. And the first rule, he essentially talks about lobsters and how in the lobster community, which their endocrine and neural system is essentially the same as humans. In the lobster community, it's a hierarchical system. So they basically do battle as men, the men who decides the, who the highest is, and they drop into a hierarchy, and then the woman selects that top men. And it's based on competency. So what his idea is that a lot of people think the hierarchy of life, how we sort ourselves into this system and framework of life is based on power, but it's really based on competency. It's really your ability to be good at something and to give something to humanity that brings value that allows you to leverage that for income or whatever, right? So basketball is just a way to become competent at something. It's a way to put ourselves at a young age into the training of competency so we can learn that art for when we need to become competent at something for our job or whatever it is. How do you feel about that one? I'm, I'm, I'm still waiting for it to catch me or I'm trying to catch it. So the, the, the fight that we're in is not for power. It's not for status. It's for competency. Is that what we're saying? Well, it's the skill of competency allows us to traverse the ladder where maybe status comes. But as we shift ourselves through this hierarchy of life, right? At every level, there's a hierarchy. There's a boss. There's a worker. You go into a store that there's a dominant person in a conversation and competency is the major requirement that allows you to traverse. Now, maybe not in high school, but as you get, you know, as you get out in the real world, it's the people that come in and can handle their business that sort up through the ranks. Maybe not in every individual situation, right? There's power plays in certain situations, but throughout the action, you know, the holistically thing of life, it's competency that allows you to kind of climb that ladder that hierarchy. So basketball is a way to train yourself to be competent at a task, right? And it gives you almost infinite ways to become competent. You got footwork, you got ball handling, you got shooting form, you got finishing, you got rebounding, you got so many things. So you can, you can just take one thing and become competent in that and then move on. You know, you can become a competent rebounder and there's a whole library of stuff to do there. And then there's a competent shooter and then you can become competent at the whole thing. So I feel like it gives you a jungle gym in a sense to learn how to be competent in the universe so then you can grow up to a human being and be competent in something else. King lobster. No, yeah. I, I, I feel that though. So, how, I mean, your, your competency in basketball had to have, tramp, I would assume, transferred into your competency as a trainer. Right. And honestly, like, I think basketball is, was that quote unquote, at the time, I thought it was, it was that lifelong skill that I would focus on that would lead to whatever status I wanted, whatever goal. But now it seems that communication is that skill that's the most leverageable skill that I like to compete at. And I like to learn how to be more competent in. So I can see the shift. You said trainer, I'll say trainer and I'll say communicator as well. Sure. I feel that I, I caught it. I get it. I get it. Okay. So here's another one for you. So kind of an obscure idea. Uh, there's an author named Ken Wilber who has a theory of whole lots. And it's the idea that inside of life, everything is a whole and a part of something else, right? So you have molecular, you have an atom, you have a molecule, you have a tissue, you have a body, or you have an organ, you have a kidney, you have a liver, you have a body, you have a team, you have a player, a team, you have the game, right? And inside those holons, everything needs to be a whole. It needs to be, have its own autonomy, but it also needs to be a part, right? So where I see the breakdown in teams and life is that people are either too much a part or too much a whole. So basketball gives you the 
framework to work on being a proper whole, being autonomous to myself, having agency, but also surviving in a group unit, right? When, when the whole becomes more than the whole, that becomes cancer. That's what cancer is, is once one cell decides that it doesn't want to be one cell anymore, it wants to be five cells, that becomes cancer. So when you have a player who decides that I don't want to be one player, I want to be all the players or whatever, then he kind of becomes a cancer to the team. So I feel like basketball kind of helps you with that code of life, is understanding where you relate into me and, and how I you know, shift into society. I like that one. <laughs> I like that one. That's perfect. You have more? <laughs> yep. Um, psychology of flow. So Mihai Csikszentmihalyi has a book called The Psychology of Flow. And essentially, if you read down to it, flow is zone. We can just interchange them, right? When you're in a flow state, you're essentially in the zone of what we're talking about. And there are requirements to be in the flow state. You have to be immersed completely in your task. You have to be like locked in concentration wise. You have to have clear goals, maybe even a score, right? Maybe even a winner at the end. Uh, you got to have time shift to where you lose time. You don't know exactly what's going on, right? Like an hour could feel like a minute. It's got to be effortless, right? It's got to be kind of within your skill level, but not too easy to where you don't get bored. So that's called zone of proximal development. So it's got to be right in that happy space of where your talents are, but not too bored and not outside. Um, you have to feel like you can control it. So you have some input on it. And it takes you out of being self-conscious. So when you get those requirements and you get to that moment and you're in that flow state or in the zone, you're in that zone, right? So my idea is that basketball provides you the framework to get into the flow state more often. And then that's kind of what, in a sense, that's what we're searching for. We're all searching to not be bored, to have those moments of like, holy crap, man, we were doing that. And dude, that felt like two minutes and it's been two hours. That was amazing, right? Those moments of losing ourselves in almost like a symphony of action. And I feel like basketball provides all those elements for you. Yo, that's, I like that. I like it. Yeah, more. <laughs> uh, let's see. Well, here's this one's. Hmm. So Jordan Peterson, one of his ideas is he goes through the whole Bible, right? And he has a psychology of the Bible. And he essentially says, if we were to break this all down, is that somewhere along the way, they realize that sacrifice was the key. That if you delay something now, for something better later, that that can make your life positive. So his idea is the Bible and the story of Jesus was written as an ultimate story of sacrifice because somewhere along the way, back in the day, they came upon the idea, but they didn't have all the systems that we have now, the communication methods to really like flesh it out. Back in 2000 BC, they didn't have psychology. They didn't have all these things to really relate to the way we do. So they started telling stories. They started extracting ideals of the proper man right kindness generosity whatever it is sacrifice and they decided sacrifice was the ultimate ideal the idea that you could get something better later if you just hold off today so i think basketball there's that all through training right training is a sacrifice in so many different ways you're sacrificing time sometimes you're sacrificing pride and ego for a payoff and a later return I mean, throughout the season, throughout the, you know, the practices, you can create that analogy all up and down. The idea that we are sacrificing something today to get something better tomorrow. And I think that kind of fits into what I was talking about earlier as far as I used to, I didn't sacrifice anything. It was give it to me now. I want moment to moment joy. And that's all I was really looking for. And that's, that's a fruit, that's a fruitless pursuit. 
You know, it never really, it never bears what you're looking for. So that sacrifice and that delay, and then it's beautiful. You just kind of get to see it when it comes in. It kind of comes in karmically and you're like, okay, there's my return. That's beautiful. Jared, I appreciate all this, man. Like one more time, can you give that epigram that you call yourself the conduits basketball, but you are a life coach for kids. How do you, what's that epigram again? Uh, yeah, I would consider myself a life coach for kids who uses basketball as a conduit to deliver the lessons. Got it. Got it, man. Where can we, any coaches, any trainers who wants to reach out to you, Facebook or Instagram, what are your handles so that we can find you? So uh, I'm on Facebook as Jared Shand. I have a business page, Mental Edge Sports Academy. My Instagram is Mental Edge underscore SA for Sports Academy. I'm starting to build my YouTube channel, so you can go check that out. I'm going to try and put some how-tos and maybe some kind of case studies of players back in the day. Um, yeah. Emails coachjared36 at gmail. Jared, I appreciate that. And we definitely have to have you on again, uh, just to have a conversation, an open conversation like this too. So hopefully you guys enjoy eavesdropping on that conversation and uh, we will catch you on the next episode. I appreciate it, man. And all the money on training. Say, right. say it one more time. You, 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 you record? So, yes, before now. so we're, we're talking and as we're talking, I flesh out that the story is this kid is not performing because he's putting so much pressure on himself because his dad has paid for the training. So he sees all that money his dad spent and he goes into the game thinking he needs to do something to justify that money. Right. That's an adverse story. Right. He's, he's living out that, that story. Okay. So I told him this deal and I, this is another good one. So really life's more like a movie. Right. And if I was to go into your movie, I was going to your brain, I would see Mice and Jones movie. And in, my, in Mice and Jones movie, Mice and Jones might be the hero, might be the villain, and there'd be all these secondary characters, right? Your mother, your father, whatever. Now, if I was to take one of those secondary characters and go into their movie, I would see them as a different person than you see them. They would be a different character, right? They may be in your movie, they might be the hero of your movie, but in their own movie, they might be the villain, mm. right? So I'm telling them this story, and I said, but the key, now who's right or who's wrong? Well, both of you are. And the key is it's your movie, right? And I was in the mode of talking and I was like, it's your movie, dude. You're Denzel and this bitch. And I like, kind of did it like that. And he goes, yeah, I'm Denzel and this bitch. <laughs> Next game, I guess he, like Samuel calls me. He's like, dude, I don't know what you, what you told him, but he went off. And I said, he's Denzel? He went <laughs> off like Denzel does. <laughs> so we got the Denzel reference. We got the Donald Duck voice. And... Man, it's all open. Anything any, to me, you can. There's a line in a movie where he's like, "I can teach a chimpanzee Japanese if I understand what he already knows." Right? So it's not. It's what people already know and attaching information to what they already know. So I just try to find out sort of what their paradigms are, and then I can feed information into that paradigm based, you know, based on them sort of seeing what it is and going, "This looks familiar," right? Like so. I listen to rap. I'm deep, you know, like I'm a hip hop head from back in the day. I sort of listen to the new stuff, but I listen to it in a sense just so I have conversation material. So I, I'll start talking to them. Hey, do you like Migos? Do you like Future? Okay, I like Tupac. I like this. I've already got them into sort of my range. And then I can sometimes filter information and I'll be like, you remember that one song? You remember that beat, how it did this? No, you need to dribble like that beat, right? And then they go, oh, okay, that's easy. So that idea I try to do as many times where I need to with every kid I can. 
That's, do you, okay, so two questions. And one, how do you, is it through experience that you see these different, because everybody's different. Everybody has their own thing. But do you read about these? Do you see it through experience? How do you break down these stories? Does that make sense? Or do you see patterns, a lot of patterns uh, very often? It's a lot of patterns. Um, a lot of it was being in rehab and, and analyzing myself, right? When you, when you see a lot of broken people and you're broken yourself, you start to see the characteristics of brokenness. And you start to realize that everybody's broken in their own way, right? And that's the key. This, this whole thing, this humanity thing, it's, it, it sucks sometimes. It's a struggle. So we got to beset it with meaning. So I'm looking for some of their dialogue that elucidates where their brokenness is. And then I try to heal it with a little bit of meaning in a sense. But it's reading books, being, being a server. Actually being a server helped me read people more than anything because I had to become intuitively tuned into what people thought about every moment and do that with four or five people at a time. So in my mind now I can actually walk by people and sense if they're happy or not. And I don't like it. Like I just, I am because I had to practice knowing where people were. And in Miami, sometimes I was talking to a table that was from Japan. So I was using pictures and I was speaking Spanish to another table and I was speaking English to another table. And so I had to switch between communication methods and assessment methods because sometimes culturally people don't show you that. And over time, I just feel like I got to the point where I could sort of see a lot of it is reading Tony Robbins type stuff and, and um, neuro-linguistic programming and the words people use. A lot of people show you where they are just by the way they speak and their approachment to certain topics or their, the way they get away from certain topics. I can see it when I say something, I can see somebody's eyes if they wince, you know, it's just, it, another thing I did is I was, a, I was like a semi-professional poker player. So I won a couple tournaments that had like 150 people in them. So I, I got good at reading people. Like when you bluff, you read the reactions at tables. I say things to people and I can sort of read their reactions. So just all that sort of molded into this. Like as I talk, I sort of already know what I'm, my purpose of the words that I'm using. Then I watch and I see if it had this, the reaction I need. And then I kind of work from there. And as I'm going, like I use the drills partially to, to assess a player. Like sometimes I'll throw them into a hard drill and I'll stick them in it just to see how they react to it. I can see their story already. I'll already know like two minutes. It's like I, I trained this player as a freshman, really, really good. Like probably one of the best players in the area. And he started out kind of like lackadaisical and not really involved. And, and I knew, I was like, this kid is good, but he has a problem with effort and he takes time to warm up and he's very introverted. I knew it within about two minutes. So at one point I could see him pick up into the drill and he started going harder. And so I said, okay, sounds like we're going to pick up the effort now. And I knew what I did was a way to alert him that I knew that he had just engaged to a different level. I walked over to his mom. I said, he's super smart, really, really good sometimes gets bored, has a hard time trusting people, correct? And she went, yep, that's pretty much it. And I said, okay. And I knew that just by watching him do those couple ball, double ball drills. So sometimes it's the way they perform in a drill. Sometimes it's how I ask them how their day went. How'd your day go? And the way they answer it, I'm like, oof, this kid's in trouble, right? Sometimes they're totally good. I'm like, man, this kid's like, he's in the zone. He, he, nothing really phases him.
That's interesting. Like, I, I, I want to spend, I have a kid tonight that I'm actually training us. That's just like that. I think he, he fit that mold. I, I saw him play one time and I can tell that is how he is. Now with this empathy, I'm, I'm learning how to be empathetic, but it's different because I have to literally get outside of my own frame, my own head and go in their head and still be me. You know what I mean? <laughs> It's, it's like I'm almost trying to multitask, which I'm not a very good multitasker. Right. And I, maybe that's partially because I serve tables. So it's something that I just sort of naturally do. But I think, I think training businesses are a lot of geography and my geography kind of almost forces me to be that way because my business is dependent on a small town area and I kind of have to keep them all um, bought into the process. So I'm very, very intuitive to them because I live in a small area and like basically all my clients are right in this small town. So I'm doing, I'm not doing so much of like, I'm going to train some kids in basketball. I'm almost trying to create a program to develop this community. So that requires me to be very, very aware of their, cause I've got so many little interpersonal, you know, with the parents and the kids and all that. And I train mostly seventh and eighth grade girls. So I'm right at that age where I have to be super mindful of everything I say and watch how they react to it because I could get a broken spirit in no time. Right, man. That's, Ooh, one more thing I wanted to, to mention. Oh, okay. So last question. What were, what was I, what cues did you pick up from me throughout the interview? Since you're so good at uh, Mr. Semi-Professional Poker Player, what did you read during our interview? Uh, mm, let's see. What did I read from you during the interview? Uh, you don't give away too much. You're pretty flat affect in your face. Um, stoic. Yeah, pretty stoic. Um, when we were doing the pre-interview, uh, a little bit of like curiosity and maybe a smidge of skepticism of what I was going to say. And then along in the interview, I got the like, oh, oh. For show, like mic drop. This guy brought it. Facts. So I, Facts. <laughs> I could see the transition of like, who are you, and do I really want to hear this? To like, oh, damn, dude, you got something to say. I like this. Let's talk. Yeah, it went from like a fifteen-minute interview to like, a, hey, bro, we're we're doing a, a reprise right now. So yeah, we're about to get on a listen to Brian McKnight later type thing. We're about to have romance going on type deal. <laughs> like, I'm gonna call you later. I got some more questions. I heard that. Heard that. <laughs> All right, man. That that was it. I'm gonna end it now. Okay, brother. <laughs> Yo, hope that podcast gave you some value. If it did, please rate, review, and subscribe to this. It only makes the podcast better. I read every single one. And at the very least, go join our group. You'll see the link in the description of this episode. And I will catch you on the next one. Coach Shand and I had a reprise. We kept the conversation going, and I wanted to record it, so you got that extra little squeeze of value add before you guys left the podcast. So enjoy this last little snippet of our conversation that we recorded.